So I'm, uh, I'm really excited about today's message. Um, I'm excited about what happened last week because last week really was a catalyst for me. A really stressful catalyst, but it was a catalyst nevertheless. Um, last week we, we found out, actually it was just over, uh, it was more than a week ago now, that we found out that we were going to be removed from this location and, uh, and that because of the QP action, we were unable to have service here at Chris Hadfield. And what it did for me, what it did in my experience was it showed me the vulnerability of the church. Not just promised church, but the church as a whole. It showed me a vulnerability that said, like, what do we do if we lose everything? I mean, it was in theory that my, that my uh, ministry and worship professor said, I have no idea how the majority of churches would run if we lost electricity. He's like, we're so performance-based that if we didn't have electricity, we would completely be lost. Well, we didn't have any sound systems or any overheads or anything last week, and we had a great service. But it really rocked me because it showed me the vulnerability. It showed me that, that there needs to be a cohesion of community so that we're able to communicate together, so that we can actually move together. It showed me that the church can be pushed out. That the church is able to be the, the church is able to be pushed out by factors that it does not control. And it could be pushed out. And and then, you know, the next the next day was actually on Sunday that QP settled. It was Sunday at about four o'clock in the afternoon. QP settled, and I was like, wow, thanks. Great timing, guys. Um, and everything was all renewed and restored, and we were back to normal. And 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 you would have thought that in my heart and in my mind, everything settled. But it didn't. It didn't settle. There's something in my heart saying, saying there's something going on here that God is using this as a catalyst to challenge and to shape us as a church. God is using, God has used an event to actually push us forward. And he's using an event to actually allow us to become the people that he has called us to be. He's using an event to allow us to become the people he's called us to be. So I was planning on, you know, moving on to another scripture or whatever. And then I realized I can't. So I'm praying about it. And, and usually, if, if anybody knows me, my sermons are written month in advance, if not more. And, and I do that because it just allows me this, the message to settle in my heart. It allows God to, to grow the message. It allows it to come together better. And so my messages are written well in advance. Uh, in fact, this week, I'm starting writing Christmas messages. We're going to do a Christmas in Canada series. And I'm really excited about it. And, uh, and so God was like, no, you're not done yet. You're going to sit down this week and you're going to go through the passage that we touched on last week. We're going to go through it a little bit more this week because there's something more in it for us. And actually over the next couple of weeks, we're still going to do this pushed out thing because I believe that God has used this one event as a catalyst to, to affect us as a church. So today, if you have any questions, you can text me as always. Use your tablet at the bottom of today's message um, and you can... Uh, you can um, you can text in any questions and I'll get to them at the end of the message and I'm excited to hear from you. Um, so let me read this passage. The passage today is um, 
Oh, actually, I just need to do a couple things. Sorry, back up. I apologize. There are four metrics of success for us as a church. This has been one of the things that came out. Um, percentage of income spent on promise grants per year, 10%. This is a metric of our, is promise church doing what promise church was called to do? This is a black and white. So many churches, they, they measure by amount of people in the congregation. That isn't the way that God's calling us to measure. God's calling us to measure percentage of income spent. Promise groups running in our church community. Um, this is actually starting in 2020. And next week, uh, we have promise group leader trainings. And, uh, and we're really excited about that. Um, target number of baptisms per year, 10% of our yearly attendance. So our average yearly attendance, we, we put that out. And then we say, okay, so that means that this is how many people should have been baptized. And, uh, and, and that's important. And then strengthening our spiritual practice. The fact that we do this, the weekly spiritual disciplines, um, not just the ones that John leads, but the ones that Devin leads, the ones that, that, that I lead as we, as we read the word together, that we're doing these things together as a, as a congregation. If we're doing all of these things, I believe God goes, that's what I called you to. That's what I called you to, right there. And, uh, and you know, on some, on some levels, it looks fairly easy. Well, yeah, that's doable. Yeah, no problem. On other levels, that's ridiculously challenging. And so this is, this is just what God has done. And we're going to keep these metrics ahead of us so that we're able to say, are we on track? Is this church fulfilling the mission that God has given us as a church? And, and the catalyst has kind of brought a little bit of a fight out in me where I'm like, okay, yeah, it's nice. We have a church. It's lovely. But, but God is moving us out and he's pushing us out to see these things happen. And, uh, and I'm, I'm so excited about being in a church that's going to start doing these because I don't know any other church that measures like this. I've never heard of a church that measures on how many dollars do we invest in a community. I've never heard of a church and think about that. And we're going to talk today about why that's important. So today we're going to read again from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. And it's not because it's my favorite passage, but, it be, but it's because the one that God is putting on my heart. And he's like, you can't leave it yet. So I'm like, okay, cool. So here we go. We're going to read it again. And we're going to pull something out of it today that's, that's really going to, to challenge us. God, as we read your word, God, I pray that, that you would speak to us individually and us corporately. God, I pray that you would unify us around your mission and around your calling. And I pray that, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. Sorry, 4, 7 to 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may, be, may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 
Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we don't lose hope. Though our outer selves is wasting away, our inner selves is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the, to, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Wow. That's an impressive, impressive passage of scripture. Um, and it's really, really important that we, that we understand what's going on. I think what I want to look at today is, is that the reason for outreach. We, we actually read here, and we might not notice it yet, but we just read here a reason for outreach. And the reason for outreach, for Christian outreach, has changed over the years. It's changed significantly over the years. Today, in the churches, traditional evangelical systems suggest that people need to come to Jesus. We need to see people converted. And everybody in, in here who has you know, grown up or ch- in a church or has church experience would be like, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to see people converted. We're supposed to see people come to Jesus. And to a degree, to a degree, we're right. To a degree, that is what's supposed to happen. And, and we're supposed to say, okay, but what's happened is we've made a switch where, where, where we're not quite on the same motivation that Paul has. We actually have a motivation that says, I want to see people come to Jesus, and then I want to see them conform to the way that Jesus is. And, and it's like, you are out there, and you need to come here that that you are that you are someone else and and as the evangelical movement continues the narrative inside the church that i grew up with now this might not be your experience but the narrative inside the church that i grew up with was people who are out there are sinners and they're somewhat maybe a little bit dangerous and they're not good and they're probably bad and they do everything they can do to get away with bad things i i realized at some point in that that actually describes a lot of people inside the church, um, but but what I what I actually saw was this negative paradigm picture painted of people who don't go to church, and I'm like, oh my gosh! So the motivation is really we need to get people to come to Jesus so that they can be like us, which is nothing other than arrogance. And I'm like, oh God, help us! Oh God, help us! This is not what God intended at all. This is nowhere near what God was hoping for when, when he said, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, he didn't, he didn't mean that, that we get to stand on a spiritual pedestal and look, and, and, and look down our noses at people who, who don't perform the same way we do. That's not what God called us to. Yet so often the message is you have to go out and convert people. 
You have to make them believe what you believe and you have to go do that. And, and it makes us into this really interesting people who pursue an ideology of righteousness and holiness and this is what we do and we're so good. And it's just like, oh, oh, that's a miss. And everybody feels it. We know, and I see all the head shaking like this, this is not who we are. That's not who we are. And we know that. But that's a narrative that's being provided to us. That's a story that's being told to us. And when we hang out with our non-Christians, you know, we question, and oh my gosh, I have, maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but we question, you know, should I go to the bar with that non-Christian person? Is that bad? Maybe, maybe I'm a bad person if I do that. I don't know if anybody's ever had that thought. You know, you've got a non-Christian friend because strikingly somehow you've actually defied the statistics that, that Christians don't have non-Christian friends. Um, which is a terrible statistic. But anyways, you, you, you go and you're like, oh, maybe I should go to, no, I, should, I can't go to the bar. I can't be seen in the bar. That might actually look like I'm sinning. Like, this is the type of narrative we've created. And so, so something has changed because it's not the biblical narrative. It's not the biblical narrative. Look right here in, in, in verse 10. In verse 10, this is, this is really interesting. There's a, there's a Hebrew word called hina. Uh, and, and it's really important. It means so that, and it gets translated right here, but it's just a cool like clause. It's a Hina clause. Verse 10, always carrying in the body of death, Hina, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Here's your motivation for mission. Here's your motivation for mission. It's not conversion. Your motivation for mission, your motivation for outreach in the early church was not conversion. It was so that the life of Jesus is seen. It's made manifest. It's visible in our bodies. It's got to be seen. It's got to be right there. It's got to be, and, and we're going to get into why that's so important. This is instrumental, and it's a very subtle shift that's happened. So, so and we're going to, I'm going to show you how. Um, manifesting the life of Jesus is the reason for outreach. God's promise to humanity has been this. From the beginning, when you read the entire Bible from cover to cover, and if you do it inside of one month, I encourage you to do it. Crazy challenge. It takes a lot of reading every single day, but do it. Like, I, I did it. It's a wonderful thing. You read it from, from the first of a month until the last of a month, and you get all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And what you'll see is there is one story in the Bible that God has promised to live with us and to make everything right. Things are pretty screwed up in the world right now. I don't know if you noticed. But God's promised to make it right. And he's promised to live with us. That's a good thing, right? Good thing? Okay. <laughs> There's like two people who are like, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Everybody else is like, I'm scared. No, I don't know what you're saying. You're just looking at me. Um, and so, so it's a good thing that God's promised to do that. And yes, I say it a lot. Okay, look at this. The process went like this. It went, God is far away, to God comes with them and with the Israelites. He lives in the temple. And then God becomes person and lives with people. From there, 
Holy Spirit lives inside the church. If God's promise is to live with us, then God lives in the community, in the non-Christian, in the secular community, through the church. God lives with the secular community, the people that do not know him, through the church. Guys, I have had people stand in my driveway and say, I can't believe in God because I don't see him. It's because God's hiding in this room. In this room. The church has taken this great God and said, we're going to keep him inside of our four walls and inside of our structure, and we're going to worship him like he is our own, like we own him. And we are going to confine him into beautiful 90-minute Sunday morning services. We used to like it on Sunday evenings, but that got out of vogue. And so we only do Sunday mornings now. And we're going to confine God. And the symptom is a non-Christian can walk up to you and say, I don't see God. I don't see him. So that, so that Christ can be seen, made manifest in our body. So that Christ can be manifest in our body. Jesus is visible. Man, we see him here every Sunday morning. We see the Holy Spirit doing stuff every single Sunday morning. We were like, oh yeah, God is strengthening me. He is, he is encouraging me. He is challenging me. Man, he's told me, he slapped me upside the back of the head today and told me I needed to do something different than what I was doing before. That happens. Yes, that is good. Yes, but the world sees God through us through the sacrifices that we make. If you look at verse 10, the, the sacrifice says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, we sacrifice and the world sees God. When we come together in our actions and we sacrifice, the world can see God. Man, I hear these stats about the church is shrinking, and I go, of course the church is shrinking. It just makes sense. Because they can't see your God. They can't see him. By God's design, we're a people to carry the presence of God into the world. So unfortunately, God pushes us out out of our comfort. Whew. I was talking this week to, to a friend of mine and uh, we're sitting over lunch and I was talking and, and he was like, he, he, it was so funny. He's like, yes, we need to be a people of love. We need to be a people that can be seen because the true law is God. God loves us and he is bang on. And then the next thing out of his mouth is he goes, and that challenges me and scares me and it's something that I feel. Like, how? What do you mean? That's a lot of, and God is pushing us out. He's saying, let's go. I've got you in this. 
I've got you and I can carry you through this and I can do this with you. Now there's some cool things that happen with this. God's presence with humanity is located with the church people. See, bringing us into the presence of God, our motivation to do outreach has become making has to become making observable the body of Christ. Check out verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Guys, God this is this is an eschatological view. This is a view of the end where where if we die showing Jesus to everybody, if we die being the body of Jesus, then God raises us up in the end. But the end goal right here is bringing people into his presence. Everything we do as a church foreshadows the fulfillment of God's promises. There's a reason for that. Because it's the greatest thing the church needs today. It needs to be a people united to foreshadow the fulfillment so that at the end, we start to see people come to, come to know and experience the love of God through us. And guess what? It's not an individual call. It's actually a corporate call. Part of what we've done with our Christianity is we've made it individualistic. We've said, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to do it individually. And yeah, I show love to people at work. It's good. I show love. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's a corporate thing. It's actually an organized thing where we together come together to do something in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if anybody gives a cup of cold water to the, to, to the least of these in my name, does it to me. If anybody gives a cup of cold water to the least of these in my name, does it to me. So Jesus is saying that, that we come together and we do it. We are the body of Christ. We are that foreshadowing moment that, that everybody takes a look and says, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Look at what this church community did. Look at what God did through these people who are, huh, just like me. There's not much that separates us from everybody else. I have lots of non-Christian friends. They're just like me. Really, they are. They're just like me. I know different things that they do and they know different things that I do, but really, we're really alike. And when they start to see that groups of us get together to actually show love to the world, under the name of Jesus, they go, God is doing something. It's amazing. So our motivation uh, for doing outreach has to become making observable the body of Christ. In other words, what would Jesus do right here? That's old cliche, isn't it? We used to have the, 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 uh, the bracelets. What would Jesus actually do right now? Making the body of Jesus manifest. What does it look like? Church is brought into God's presence now, and it foreshadows when we're brought into the presence of God forever. And the community is brought into the presence of God when the church enters the community. Is that clear? Does it make sense to everybody? Wow. It's a hard message, isn't it? It's a hard message, but it's a true message. And so, so here's where we are. We have a reason to say thank you. We have a huge reason to say thank you because God has done so much. Has God done anything in anybody's life here? 
Has there been somebody who could say, yeah, God's done something in my life? Yeah, okay, so half of you. Yeah, God's done something in your life. And, uh, and the rest were just waiting. But there's a reason for us to say thank you. There's a reason that God, has, we have experienced God and we're like, oh yeah, this is wonderful. Thank God. Thank God. Now, this is, this is great. Grace must not be reduced only accepting Jesus' forgiveness. Look at verse 15 here. Grace must not only be reduced to accepting Jesus' forgiveness, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Grace is an action that happens whenever mercy is exposed. Guys, anybody see the whole thing about Botham? Uh, I forget his first name. The the forgiveness moment that happened in the trial with the with the with the person who who um pardon me? Yeah, an officer an officer shot shot a man in his house and and then was standing trial and was convicted and was sentenced to 10 years and the brother the brother expressed this massive moment of forgiveness. I found that video compelling and appalling. I found the video both compelling and absolutely appalling. It was compelling because, wow, isn't that forgiveness? That's amazing. That's so great. It was appalling because the young man went to such a degree that said, I wish you didn't even have to go to jail. And that's offensive. Because it wasn't just. And I was like, wait a second. Grace isn't just. Grace is not just. Grace is actually completely unjust. And it made me realize why I get offended with Jesus when he offers that type of grace. Where, where he says the punishment isn't necessary. Because I'm like, no, no, but but, but what about justice? Grace is appalling. And so here we are. It says, so that grace may extend. It's an action that happens where mercy, undeserved mercy, is expressed. Grace is when I experience something that I didn't deserve at the hands of somebody else. It's grace, by definition, is unjust. And you go like, oh, okay. Wow. So when we are acting in manifest presence of God in the community, there's an element where it's like, yeah, but but what? But what? And God's saying, go. Go together. Be grace so that more and more people may increase in thanksgiving. Receiving grace leads to thanksgiving. I've received grace. I've received grace. I was caught in a sin when I was younger, and I received grace, and it led to much thanksgiving. And so, and all of us, all of us have received grace, and it's led us to thanksgiving. Here's a question. If we are the presence of God in the community, get this, here's a huge question. How many times do we as a church give the community the reason to say thank you. 
How many times do we as a church give the community a reason to say thank you? As grace extends to more and more people so that thanksgiving may happen, the question that burns in my soul, the question that pushes us out of these four walls is what reason do they have to be thankful for us? What reason? Why would anybody drive along West Park and see our signs and go, thank God that church is here? Why would anybody ever give thanksgiving to God or to us? Why would that happen? Why would they be so thankful? Well, guess what? They would be thankful if the manifest body of Christ was made visible in our actions in the community. They would actually then drive by the sign and be like, thank God for that church. Without that church, this stuff wouldn't have happened. Without that church, these, these people wouldn't have experienced freedom or wouldn't have experienced love or wouldn't have experienced compassion. Thank God for Promise Church. Thank God that a year ago God started this church because, because he is doing something and all of a sudden the invisible God becomes visible again. The invisible God becomes visible because, because the Holy Spirit inside of us joins us together and we give the community a reason to be thankful so, whether we like it or not, whether it is exciting or not, this is what God's doing. God is pushing us out. Whew. He's pushing us out. He's pushing us into promise groups first, which is great. That one's easy. So, promise groups are launching in early 2020. Leaders, leaders meetings are starting next week so that we could get everybody on the same page, so that we could be organized, so that we can manifest the body of Christ in our community. This is what we're doing. And so, so promise groups are, are starting up, and I want everybody. Actually, the intention is every person who's a regular here at Promise Church will get a personal invite into a promise group. You're going to get personally invited into a promise group. That's one of our targets. And if you don't, then we failed. Sorry, you'll have to forgive us. It's unjust, I know. And so, so we're, but that's our target. That's what we want to do. I have a few text messages, so they're going to come up right, in, right now. Um, first one, self-righteousness is disgusting. God feels that way, and so do I. God wants us to be ambassadors and speak his truth wrapped up in love. We're to, be, we're to put our faith into practice by creating relationships and allowing God to open their eyes and warm your hearts. We have to show up and let God make them hungry and curious. We have to show up. That's the first step right there. That's the first step. We have to show up, and we will. We will. Promise Church, this is so exciting because we actually will. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do this like no other church does it. And, uh, and I'm, that's not a pressure thing. I'm actually, I'm already seeing it. We're doing it in small pieces. And the reason that it's not happening as much, I've been evaluating it for a couple weeks, is really because of me. The organization's not been there to make it crystal clear into how it, make it, how it happens because I see this congregation ready to do it. I see this congregation ready to make a difference. So we're going to show up. Instead of we have to, we're going to. And it's going to be good. Next one. You said the church is shrinking because the world cannot see God. What's changed? If they could not see God 50 or 100 years ago, did our faith change? There are elements of our message that have changed. There are focuses in our message and in our ability to, to do that has changed. 
And so the church is shrinking because culture is changing and this culture is unable to see God through our actions. So yes, uh, did our faith change? Fundamentally, no. Did our expression of our faith change? Uh, yeah, I think it did. I think it did. And I think that when we look at Paul in the first century saying the Hena clause, so that grace is made manifest, I've never heard that preached. I've never heard that it's our responsibility. One more, I think. This seems to tie in perfectly with your message series when we were uh, when we examined ev evangelism in the book of Acts. Uh, the application is clear. Service outside the church in our community and give the credit to God. Yes, under the banner of, of Promised Church, we come together and we do this. And I think that that's kind of nice that, you know, that, that this works inside of, of the view of the book of Acts. Um, I think that that makes sense. And so there's a consistent narrative coming through scripture that, uh, that I'm seeing. So, you know, it, it's time that we adjust our perspective on why God's called us to outreach. And the challenging part is it might cost us everything. It might just cost us everything, but we know that God's working on it. Devin, if you want to come up um, as, I, as I conclude this in prayer. Um, you know, I was nervous about this message, not because the content or whatever, but because it's such a push. It's a big push. But I really believe that the push is coming from God. It's not moralism that God's saying, oh, we need to engage in. It's mission, you know? And so, so the fact that, that God has called me as a pastor to help organize and facilitate the mission of the church unified, that's really exciting. So God, I pray for this church as a corporate body. Together with your Holy Spirit, we represent your presence in the world, to the world. And God, I pray that you would allow us to organize. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that this is not our own strategies and our own doings, but that it's driven by you. That the love that we share in this community is love that we share because of you. Holy Spirit, we need you. And so we rely on you to do this work inside of us, prepare us. This isn't something that I'm saying, oh, we need to do this tomorrow. This is something that we are strategically moving towards and following your Holy Spirit and following your lead. And so prepare our hearts as you push us out. In Jesus' name, amen.